Thank you for listening to the Faith Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. Today's sermon for the third Sunday of Easter, April 18th, 2021, is preached by Pastor Jason Goodham. If you have questions or comments regarding today's message, please call the church office at 612-824-5527 or visit our website at faithlutheran-aflc.org. Good morning again. Special welcome to those of you who are visiting us this morning. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I would at this time invite you to stand as I read the New Testament lesson appointed for this Sunday. The sermon text is taken from Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 21, can be found on page 1695 of your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. Reading in Jesus' name, Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as, John, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Christ, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and by his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man his perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Heavenly Father, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray that this morning you would sanctify us in the truth, that you would convict us of sin in our lives for that is necessary, and that you would comfort and encourage us with the promises of your gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, by way of a thought exercise, I'm going to ask you all to exercise some empathy. Now, in today's day and age, it seems like empathy is in short supply. In the midst of the most strained race relations since the 60s, and in a time where almost literally everything is politically charged, it seems that empathy is all but absent in the public square. How often do we find anyone, ourselves included, shouting past one another rather than stopping to listen and understand? 
But the thing about empathy is that it can be practiced. And so that's what we're all going to do this morning. None of you right now, as we speak, are Jews living in the first century during Israel's history, during the height of the Roman Empire. I can say that with a fair deal of confidence, okay? We all today have creature comforts as individuals that people in the New Testament couldn't have even dreamed about. Just think about how long it took you to drive to church in the morning in spite of the fact that the Minnesota Department of Transportation continues to make it impossible to get to church from the north because of the 35W construction project, okay? You still got here in a half an hour or less unless you came from Northfield, all right? This is the way it works. Modern medicine, even modern medicine, has made the setting of the healing of the lame man difficult to comprehend. As someone who has had major ankle surgery, I went to the hospital, they fixed my ankle, and I went back to the hospital, they fixed it again, and then I went back a third time, and they fixed it one last time. My ankle injury eight years ago would have been a life sentence for me. We simply do not understand what was going on here in Acts 3 unless we stop and we try. So even if we can even momentarily drop ourselves into the setting of Acts chapter 3, we're going to learn one major truth about empathy. Because of our shared humanity, because of the ubiquity of the human experience throughout time, empathy very quickly turns into sympathy as we exercise it. So we turn our eyes back to Acts chapter 3 and take note of a lame beggar, a curious crowd, and how it serves to teach us something about ourselves. So, get your empathy hats on and imagine that you're the lame beggar. Right away, in the New Testament lesson, we learned a few key and important truths about this man. First, he's been lame from birth. This is the only way of life he's ever known. And second, as an adult now, he's been a fixture at the temple. Once Peter and John healed him, those who were in the temple instantly recognized him as the one who had been begging at the main gate of the temple. Now the beautiful gate, most likely, but we don't know for sure, the beautiful gate of the temple was likely the main entrance to the building itself. And if this is true, the location that the man was begging at the front of the temple, every single person, man and woman, would have had to pass by this gentleman as they went for their daily or weekly temple activities. And really, according to Acts 3, that's all we know. But can you still empathize with this man? Are you willing to feel the exhaustion of his life? Can you understand how his life must have beaten him down? How day after day, begging for sustenance, began to wear on his own humanity. And even as he asked Peter and John for some alms, you can almost feel that it was just a throwaway question 
hoping that they might toss just a few coins his way. But that's when everything changes. Peter commands this man's attention. Look at us. Do you think there was even enough time for the man to generate disappointment when Peter said, I have no silver or gold? Maybe there was, but maybe there wasn't, because in our text, Peter immediately tells this man to rise up and walk in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Can you imagine how that must have felt? For the first time ever in your life, to feel strength in your legs and in your ankles after being a cripple your entire life. Now here again, and maybe I'm inclined to preach the sermon this way because of my ankle injury eight years ago. I can tell you this, after they put the, the soft cast on after my surgery the day I broke my ankle, the first time I tried to unwrap my soft cast to take a shower, I was so terrified at the weakness of my ankle that I actually got nauseous and nearly passed out. I literally got dizzy when I thought about trusting my weak ankle. And here's this man who for the very first time felt strength in his legs, felt that he could stand up and walk without weeks and weeks of arduous physical therapy. What must have that felt like? And it wasn't like Bambi, like it is watching a newborn deer learn how to walk for the first time. This man went from cripple to dancing around the temple with vitality in one singular moment. What an utterly amazing experience. Are you capable this day, some 2,000 years after the fact, to put yourself in that man's shoes. And in doing so, can you share in his immediate appreciation and love for Peter and John as he clung to them, as he would not leave their presence as they moved throughout the temple? And can you open your eyes to the truth of God's word and share in your appreciation for its power? A little bit of empathy here will go a long way. And shift gears. Now, imagine that you're a member of the Jewish crowd in the temple. Instead of experiencing what happened to the man, you're witnessing it. What do we know about this crowd? Well, if you're at the temple, you're still pious enough that you're an active participant in your faith. But and especially as we're familiar with Jesus' testimony in the Gospels, unless you're one of the religious elites, this is also likely another part of your life that conspires to beat you down. Life in the Roman Empire, even during the Pax Romana, the Roman peace that was brought to southern Europe in the Middle East and northern Africa, isn't nearly as polished or romanticized as modern historians would paint it. If you lived during the first century A.D., life was hard. It was a daily struggle unless you were one of the very few independently wealthy members of society. And even then, it wasn't great. Now, on top of that, 
if you had to spend regular time in addition to your everyday life at the temple, it would have been even harder. Because each day you're at the temple, you're confronted with your failure to obey the laws of God, and on top of that, the umpteen number of rules that have been piled on top of the laws of God and imposed on you by the religious leaders. As you're standing in the temple right now, search your imagination. Can you remember the exact amount of steps that you're allowed to take on the Sabbath? Think about that. Do you know the progression of God's law and how to respond to act if something happens to your oxen on the Sabbath day? Do you know what to do? It's all there, spelled out to you in written word. And you hear the priests speak it. And if you go to synagogue, you hear it read over and over. But law after law after law conspires against you. Esther and I just yesterday finished our taxes. And even in paying someone to do our taxes, it's awful. There are thousands upon thousands of tax laws. Now imagine if those laws governed life and death for you on a religious basis every day. Start to feel that pile on your shoulders. And then as you look at the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin, you're reminded not only are you bad, but others appear to be good. They appear to have it figured out, and that makes you feel worse. But because of your hope in God, you keep going to the temple. And then the grind of the day is interrupted by this man dancing around the temple. I guarantee you right now, I know exactly how all of you would react if a homeless person started dancing around the sanctuary. I can picture the look on your faces. And you start to question yourself. Isn't this the lame beggar from the gate? Isn't this the man holding the cardboard sign on the corner? As a crowd begins to form around Peter and John, you are compelled to rush over and see what is going on. That is when it all comes together in God's plan for you that day. Because you hear Peter preaching. Peter doesn't take credit for the healing. He gives glory to God. You very rarely hear any moment when the religious elite will give glory to God instead of puffing out their chest. And as you're drawn to the words, you see that these men are not self-important or pompous or even educated. Then you hear a name that makes all of those warm fuzzies go away. Jesus of Nazareth. You were in the crowd on both days. You were there and welcomed him into town with the rest of the frenzied crowd as this man rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. You remember the cloaks and the palm branches and the singing and the proclamation of prophecy from your Bible. But you also realize you were part of that same crowd that got caught up in the same sort of frenzy chanting for this man to be crucified. After all, what harm could it have done? He was so pathetic. 
and broken. It was easy to throw that man away. As the guilt of yet another failure washes over you, Peter invites you to be refreshed. And those words first hit you like a ton of bricks, and then they establish a lifeline to the extent that you can almost feel your heart beating again. Were you able just now to conjure up those emotions in your mind and your heart? It's not so terribly difficult if we try, is it? It's not so hard and it's not a stretch beyond our imagination to realize that Scripture defines and describes real events at real times with real emotions behind and supporting them. In fact, if we just take a moment, it's fairly easy to connect with the narrative of God's Word. But what about you right here and right now? What does all of this have anything to do with who you are, aside from being mildly interesting? I would suggest that it has a lot to do with you. Like the cripple, you are paralyzed to help yourself and in desperate need of healing. And like the crowds, you've likely been so numbed to the daily grind of life that you might not even recognize it as it passes you by. But wait, even if I'm wrong, even if right now you're in perfect health and everything is coming up roses and maybe you just smiled and laughed and pranced your way through the weekend because everything is swell, that doesn't change my diagnosis even one iota. Because in the end, you're a flawed person in a profoundly broken world. This is true even if you're a lifelong Christian, even if you're dedicated to the exercise of your faith and extremely pious in your daily activities, and I know many of you are, even with all of that being true, you right now and right here are still aware that you're a sinner. And you still feel the effects of sin on your life, and in the world, and from time to time, more often than you care to admit, you recognize that it hurts, that it affects you. Maybe you're a cripple right now, so burdened by whatever in life that it is, that it feels impossible to put one foot in front of the other. Or maybe you're one in a nameless, faceless crowd, letting one day of life blend into another, going through the motions, hoping that something interesting will happen that's not terrible news. And then you go home, and you turn on the news, or you glance at your phone, and it doesn't change. More violence. How many mass shootings have we had in the last three weeks in America alone, not to mention all the suicide bombings around the world, more death, more rioting. I was here doing emergency preparations for Sunday school yesterday because I found out that the seminarian who was scheduled to teach uh, 
Sunday school this morning had tested positive for COVID, and so suddenly I had to have a lesson ready. Came to church on Saturday, and at Saturday afternoon at 4 o'clock on the intersection of 44th Street and Nicolet, there were six military vehicles, one police cruiser, and at least 15 armed members of the National Guard. Three blocks that way. And no matter how good of a mood I was in, or what was going on in my life, that is one of the most jarring personal things I have ever seen. Maybe you could say I've led a sheltered life, but at no point in time have I ever been prepared to see armored guards stationed on a normal street in America. I wasn't trained for that. Even if you move past all that, there's more pandemic. There are more bills to pay. There's more strife in life. There are more aches and pains in our body each and every passing day. What it comes down to is that there's more heartache. In the back of it all, you feel it. You feel your sin when you connect to the tragedy in the world around us. And you begin to question what your contribution to all of this really is. Whatever the case might be, the words of Peter's sermon should breathe new life into you right now. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Times of refreshing. Sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Times of refreshing sounds like sprinting off the end of a dock on a hot July day and jumping into a crystal clear, cool lake. Times of refreshing. Dear saints, that is exactly why you are here right now. Each and every week, you need to be refreshed. As much as it feels like you need instruction to navigate life, and you do, and as much as it feels like you need to grow in wisdom, and you do, what you need at church more than anything else is a time of refreshing. And here's the reality that changed the life of the lame man, that changed the life of those in the crowd that listened and heard Peter. And here's the reality that changes your life. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. The resurrection changes everything. Your sin that sent Christ to the cross has been dealt with. It has been punished and the wrath of God against your sin has been satisfied. Your enemies that push and prod and poke and crush you every single day. Sin, death, and the devil. All of those enemies have been conquered. That which conspires to beat you down is now a defeated foe. And Jesus' emergence from the tomb ensures it. At this moment in your life, and for always... There is no reason to run or hide 
from God's presence. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. God's not waiting just around the corner to smite you when you screw up and fail. He's here, right now, ready to receive and forgive you. He sent his son to die for you. He sends his son to forgive you even now. Jesus' body and blood are on the altar, ready to refresh you and give you strength. And maybe the best part of Jesus' resurrection when it's all said and, down, said and done is that he's alive and that he's coming back for you. Whatever your situation might be, what you need most for your day-to-day existence as a person and as a Christian is right here and right now every week at Faith Free Lutheran Church. And it's not something for you to do. And it's not another item to add to your checklist of personal improvement. It's what God has done for you. It's the good news of the gospel. It's a time of refreshment for you in the midst of the cares of the world. So, dear saints, be refreshed. Because he is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.